last time we were together, we uh, kind of got an information or get an introduction to uh, uh, the Bible. We uh, talked about uh, the what you look for when you get into the Bible. There's some things that the way you look at it. The Bible is put together in such a way that God uses simple things like contrast was one of them we talked about. Association is another one. God will teach you things by the things that are different. And I talked to you about what you want to look for. Probably last week was fundamentally, anyhow, the key to you learning the Bible. If you don't ever learn to use those things the way those things are laid out, you're never going to get it. The reason why the Bible eludes so many people is not just because of the fact that they don't believe it, but and they don't have it, but even the ones that do have it, they just don't get the way God has laid it out. And what I'm doing here, at least for the first maybe year anyhow, is I'm going to give you fundamental things that you have to get down, fundamental things that you can never forget. Once That, that thing last week, the last time we were together I gave you, you ought to burn those things into your mind and everything that you do when it comes to the Bible because these are the fundamentals. You have to have these. If you don't learn how to use those basic things, and we're going to, like I said, the first year, we're going to basically define a lot of things about the Bible, and then we'll move on, you know, into the Bible itself with some things. But we have to get down, hardline the fundamentals of, of what it is. Now, today... Uh, I want to move into the next area, which is absolutely vital. And again, if you do not get this down, and I'm going to devote the whole time to it today because that's how important it is. If you do not get this down, you ain't going anywhere with the Bible. And this will be fundamentally the theme of the Bible. Everything that you read will have a theme to it. And uh, whether, no matter what it may be. And uh, when you go to school and you read a book, you'll write a theme paper on it. The theme is, what did you get out of it? What was the author trying to say? And uh, in English, they have English literature, which is called uh, comprehension, you, what you comprehend about what you read. Uh, and, you know, that, those things are so important. Um, and so you, you, you want to start out, when it comes to the Bible, you've got to have a, a concept of the theme of the Bible. Now, the theme of the Bible is authority. When push comes to shove, who's going to run what? That's the, and I don't, and I, you know, and I don't know why people have such a time with that. Because um, that's the theme of all life. That's the theme of every country. It's the theme of every nation. It's the theme of all history. When push comes to shove, who's going to be in charge? So why, why somebody would think that that wouldn't be the theme of the Bible, uh, I, I don't get. And along with that concept of authority... Uh, the theme of the Bible will be about a kingdom. And that also should be so clear to anybody anywhere because there again, that is the subject matter of everything on planet Earth. The history of the man on Earth has been nothing more than uh, who's in charge through a kingdom, through a nation, uh, a king, a president, prime minister, whatever. And that's always been the issue down through life ever since uh, Genesis. The first city in the Bible was in Genesis chapter 10. And, um, you know, if from that point on, it's all set up that it follows that kind of concept. And, uh, you know, most people, they're so shallow when it comes to the Bible that they think that the theme of the Bible would be salvation. 
And I get that. You know, uh, salvation to you and me is a very important thing. For your life and my life, it's probably the most important thing that we have because we don't go to heaven without it. But salvation in the Bible is not the most important thing to God. And, you know, I learned a long time ago that you, you never look at the Bible. You never look at the Bible from a Christian standpoint. And a lot of people don't understand what I, when I say when I say that. You never study the Bible from a Christian standpoint. When you look at our chart up here and you see the 7,000 years of God, that dual line right there, top and bottom, represents 2,000 years of church history. If you try to interpret everything that God is doing on the other end of that and on the other end of this way by what he's doing here, you're going to get really messed up. And that's what happens with most of God's people. They view the Bible, the whole Bible, through uh, the New Testament Christianity. And Christianity, as we know it, is a, just, a, it's just a very small part of what God is doing. But when you make that the central thing and you make salvation uh, the theme of the Bible, then you, you, you're not going to go anywhere. And, uh, you know, the theme of the Bible is not the church. Uh, the, thing, the, the thing of the Bible is a kingdom. And that's always been the key, and it's always going to be the key. And if you don't get that down, then you're never going to get anything from the Bible. And along with that, you're going to find, and we're going to talk about this in detail down the line a little bit, you're going to find that God has two identities by which he's going to use to enact his plan down through history. And uh, this is what he does. This is the way he does it. In the Old Testament, we know that he uses the nation of Israel. And in time, I'm going to show you how the nation of Israel comes into being. It's very important that you learn that. Uh, in the Old Testament, his plan was the nation of Israel. Everybody, everybody that found God in the Old Testament had to come through the nation of Israel. Uh, there was no other way. Uh, you, couldn't, uh, you couldn't worship God by being a Hittite. You couldn't worship God by being an Amorite. You had to come through the nation of Israel, uh, through that nation. And that nation is the only way you could get to God. Now, in the New Testament, uh, the, way, the identity is the church. And um, you can only get to God in the New Testament through the church, the church. And I know that uh, one of the things that the devil throws at people today is that he tries to make a particular church like the Catholic Church or... or the Baptist Church or the Methodist Church or, you know, Church of Christ or whatever... They, they take the position that they are the only true church. Now, that, we know that's not true, but that is built on a fundamental truth. All heresy is. Every bad heresy you're going to find anywhere in life uh, around the Bible will have as its source a fundamental truth. It just gets skewed in the process. Now, we know that the one true church, the Catholics talk about that they are the one true church. I've got books at home in my office that were used for uh, in the parochial schools uh, teaching kids in five, six, seven, eight years old textbooks for the Catholic Church. And they teach those kids uh, very clearly in there from a very early age that the Catholic Church is the only true church and there's no salvation found in any other church. And of course, so we grow up in the world today actually thinking, many people thinking that the Catholic Church is the only true way to God and the only true church. Then on top of that, you've got the Jehovah Witnesses that think that their church is the only way and everybody else is going to hell. Catholics hate the Jehovah Witnesses. The Jehovah Witnesses hate the Catholics. 
Then you got the Church of Christ who think that their church is the only way you go to heaven. They hate the Jehovah Witnesses and the Catholics, and the Catholics hate the Jehovah Witnesses and the Church of Christ. But they get under themselves that their church is the only true church. Where does that come from? It comes from the Bible. Because in the New Testament, the only way to God is through a New Testament church, the body of Christ. When I say the church, I'm not talking about a building. I'm not talking about <coughs> a denomination. The true church in the Bible is a body, not a building. Now, we, are a, we meet in a building, Old Past Baptist Church. And yes, we are the true church, the way to God. But not because we're Baptists and we meet in the building. It's because we're a church in the right body. The Catholic Church is a church, but they're in the wrong body. They're in the body of Satan. Church of Christ is a church, but they're in the wrong body. They're also in the church of Satan. Mormons, you name it, they're all churches, but they're in the wrong body. The thing that makes in the New Testament the avenue by which God is going to do what he does is the true church. And the true church is the body of Christ that you got born into when you got saved. That is the church. There's a heresy out there that you hear a lot about that's called Baptist Brighter. And uh, Baptist Brighter has been around for quite a while, and that is the teaching that uh, tr Baptist Church is the only true church. And they take the start of the Baptist Church back to John the Baptist, believe it or not. And uh, they, uh, they, they think that the Baptist Church is the only true church, and of course, uh, that's not true either. The true church is a spiritual church. The Bible says there's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. That baptism is not water in the book of Ephesians. That baptism is spiritual baptism that puts you into the body of Christ. And so you see that, uh, that in the Old Testament, the only way to get to God was through a nation. And that nation was the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, the only way that we can get, a man can get to God is through the church, the true church, the body of Christ. Now, <clears throat> I must say this, that there are very few uh, what I would classify New Testament local churches today. I'm not saying that a guy can't get saved in those, but he certainly will not grow in those. Uh, but the, uh, the idea of, uh, of uh, God's identity in the New Testament being flourishing and, and, and winning people to Christ and doing a great job is, is no longer true. It's no longer true in the New Testament, just like if you would go back in history with the nation of Israel and you'd show up right before the captivity, you wouldn't find it there either. Um, in other words, both institutions failed. But the thing that I want you to understand fundamentally, and you've got to see this, when the Bible talks about rightly dividing the word of truth, your Bible fundamentally is divided into two identities. In the Old Testament, it's a nation of Israel, and the New Testament, it's the body of Christ. You have to know that. And then you have to understand how each one, it, what it is, which I've explained to you. The Old Testament was one nation. But in the New Testament, it's not just one church in the sense of church buildings. It's one spiritual church. It's a body, the body of Christ. So you got to see. And what that brings up is the fact is this, and this is where I'm going, and this is the, where we're going to look at the theme of the Bible. You're going to find that the, one of the Old Testament is physical. Everything about it is physical. And you're going to find that the one of the New Testament is spiritual. Uh, the nation of Israel was a physical identity. Uh, the church is a spiritual identity. That is the biggest thing that you want to remember. Everything else in your Bible, I don't care where you go,
This is the key to figuring out the Word of God. You don't get this down, you don't get nothing down. You have to understand that the whole history of the world and all of the Bible fundamentally is built around these two institutions. One is physical, it's a nation. The other one is spiritual, it's a body. It's the church, the true church. And everything operates that way. Now, I told you that the theme of the Bible uh, was, uh, was authority and that the theme of the Bible was a kingdom. So you're going to find two kingdoms in the Bible that you have to get down and understand, and that's what we're going to focus on today. And I'll have time at the end for some questions if you want to ask them, because I want to make sure you get this. These two kingdoms are probably the most misunderstood teaching anywhere in the Bible. I'm going to say it, and I, you know, people get sick and tired of me saying this all the time, about you wouldn't find, you wouldn't find probably maybe one or two maybe three pastors in this city who understand the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And to me, when a man doesn't understand the difference between the two and he can't explain them, I got nothing, he's got nothing he's going to say to me about the Bible. I mean, he may teach me how to gig frogs or he may teach me how to catch bass on a Saturday afternoon, but he ain't going to give me anything out of the Bible. Uh, that Bible is built around these two kingdoms because the theme of the Bible is a kingdom. It's authority. And authority, who's an authority? Now, you can have, you can have more than one authority. Uh, you can. But you can only have one final authority. Uh, you'll have marriages where the husband, you know, he's an authority and the wife's an authority, and they go around and around all the time. And uh, so you can have more than one authority. And that's what we have in Christianity today. Everybody got their own Bible. Everybody gets their own translation. So there's a lot of different authorities. But there's only one final authority, and that final authority is, is the Word of God as we know it. And that final authority is based and teaches the fact that these two kingdoms are absolutely, totally different. And, uh, you know, everybody today teaches that they're the same. And I'm going to tell you why they teach them the same after we define them here and after we, we, uh, we look at it for a little bit. Now, the first one was the kingdom of heaven. And the second one is going to be the kingdom of God. Now, the reason why people get so confused about this is because they show up in uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so because they show up together, uh, they think that they're the same. And that's a fatal flaw and a fatal mistake when it comes to the Bible, one that most people never return from when it comes to learning their Bible. And, uh, and as Dr. Ruckman used to say, the reason why I know they're not the same is because they're not spelled the same. They're different. Uh, they're different. And these two kingdoms represent the two identities that uh, God uses throughout the Bible. And uh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take you a little deeper today than what I normally do uh, in just speaking about it or talking about it. Uh, because we're here to learn, and I'm not, that's not my purpose when I'm talking about something else or I'm just defining it in a general way. But you're going to get the whole enchilada today because you need to understand this. This is paramount. Now, let's talk about the kingdom of heaven first. The kingdom of heaven is dealing with the nation of Israel. And the kingdom of heaven has to do with a literal, visible kingdom, which is found in a literal, visible city, Jerusalem, which is connected to a literal, visible nation, the nation of Israel. 
and uh, you're going to find that uh, that is the uh, fundamental uh, definition of the kingdom of heaven. It has to do with the earth, the nation of Israel. And if you have your Bibles, you want to come over to Matthew here. I've never understood why, and I know that they both show up in the Gospels, but I've never understood why somebody would think that uh, they were the same when you find that uh, uh, you find that the kingdom of heaven is, is found 52 times in the book of Matthew. I think the kingdom of God is found maybe three times. When you come over to Mark, you'll find the kingdom of God 20 times. You'll find the kingdom of heaven zero. Uh, when you come into Luke, you'll find that the kingdom of God is found 44 times. The kingdom of heaven is found zero. When you get over to the Gospel of John, you'll find the kingdom of heaven is found three times. Uh, the king, uh, kingdom of God is found three times. The kingdom of heaven is found zero. Now, based on that, I, I just have a hard time why somebody could say, well, uh, they're the same because uh, they're, they both show up. The difference of how they show up is unbelievable. Why do you only find it in Matthew? Why is it only in Matthew? I mean, uh, that I would, but here again, going back to what we talked about last time, if you're a Bible student and you're seeing these things, you're supposed to ask yourself why. You're supposed to be looking for something like this. You're supposed to be finding out when you're coming through here and you say, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Wow, I wonder how many times the kingdom of heaven is in Matthew. Wow, 52 times. Okay, let's see how many times it's in Mark. None. Luke, none. John, none. See, that, that's a red flag. That tells me right out of the chute that there's something by the absence of the kingdom of heaven in these other books, that there's something about this, that they're not the same. I mean, that would just be my my first guess based on how the Bible lays itself out. Then the next thing I would do is that I would look at the book of Matthew itself. And I would look at the book of Matthew and I would find that uh, in the book of Matthew, uh, what is Matthew dealing with? Matthew is dealing with the coming king to the nation of Israel. Matthew is dealing with a king coming for a kingdom. That's why you find kingdom of heaven 52 times. He's coming to a literal nation to be a literal king over a literal piece of ground on a literal earth. So you find it 52 times. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven. And uh, look over at Matthew chapter 8, verse 11. Here's something else that I would see. And this would just be me. But I, I told you last time, when you're in the Bible, you look for things that don't match up the same way. Look at verse 11. And I say unto you that many shall come in, from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. You see that? All right, now look at Luke chapter 13. I'll show you something different. And you ought to catch things like this. 
Look at verse 29, Luke 13, 29. And, and I know you're probably not up to speed to catch it yet, but this is why I'm showing it to you. This is what you've got to discipline yourself to look for these things. Look at verse 29. And they shall come from the east and the west. Same verse, same verse. And they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. Now, what's, what's the difference between the two? There's no Isaac and there's no Jacob here. You know why? This is the kingdom of God. Isaac, Jacob, and those guys have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Isaac and Jacob have to do with the nation of Israel and the literal kingdom of heaven. See how that thing works? Now, if that wasn't enough, when you get over to Paul's writings, Paul doesn't mend the kingdom of heaven one time. Not one time. And he writes to the church. So you begin to see that the kingdom of heaven is dealing specifically with the coming king to the nation of Israel over a literal, visible piece of ground in Jerusalem. So the kingdom of heaven will always be that. Now when you come to Matthew, and we're going to come through Matthew in time, and I'm going to take the three hardest books in the Bible and break them down for you. It won't be this year. Uh, but we're going to come through Matthew, Acts, and Hebrews. And I'm going to break all those down for you so you have a good understanding of them. But just in a quick glance here, you know, in, 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 uh, in Matthew chapter 1, uh, and in Matthew uh, over here in chapter 1, uh, you have a genealogy. There's two genealogies of Christ in the Bible. And uh, there's one here in Matthew and there's one in Luke. And uh, the one in Matthew uh, is the line going of Christ back through the kings because he's the king of the Jews. In Matthew, he's being presented as the nation of Israel uh, to the king of the Jews over the kingdom. So there's 52 times you find a reference to the kingdom of heaven. And it's over and over and over again. So the genealogy you have here is his genealogy going back through the kings of Chronicles and Kings and, and uh, establishing him as the king of the Jews. The one in Luke is his human genealogy, which takes him back through his mother and takes him back to, uh, to Adam uh, as the son of man. So you, you want to you know, remember that. Uh, in the early part of Matthew, uh, chapters 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, right up through there, He's doing everything he needs to do to present himself as the king over a literal kingdom to a literal people. They make the rejection of him in chapter 12. You see this? See how this helps you? You get over here in Matthew chapter 5, you got what is commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount has probably sent more people to hell than all the booze and all the drugs and on the planet Earth in the history of man. Because the, the, the Sermon on the Mount is the liberals' way of getting to heaven. And, of course, they get that way because they see Matthew chapter 5. They don't know what to do with it. And um, so they don't have a clue. So they start taking everything in here in the first 4, 5, 10, 12 verses and making it into the Christian life. And they say, blessed be the poor in spirit. They say, blessed are they that mourn. Best are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is why liberals are always mealy-mouthed munch, munchkins who, uh, you know, have no steel in their backbone. This is why you see them, the pastors and that look like people who, are, you know, are, 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 have been dead a long time ago. You shake their hands like picking up a dead fish. They're very meek. They're very mild. They're against violence. They're against capital punishment. They're against all the hardline things because of the Sermon on the Mount. The idiots are so unbelievably stupid that they can't read there in verse Verse 3, when he starts the saying, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Has nothing to do with the church. 
But you can begin to see, if you don't understand that, the difference between the two, then you're lost, man. You wind up going to hell based on you wind up teaching all your people about this and teaching the heresy. And people wind up going to hell based on the fact that uh, you think this is the gospel for the, for the age because you think the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are the same. Of course, they're not. So we come up to Matthew chapter 12, and I want you to see this. Matthew 12 and 13. Uh, here's where they uh, here's where they reject in Matthew chapter 12. Here's they, where they reject Christ and as their king, and this becomes a real problem for the nation of Israel. And uh, this is where you know you find the idiots out there who talk about the unpardonable sin based on verse 32. And of course, here again, because they don't understand the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. They never get it. I'm telling you right now. I'm telling you right now. The fundamental key to the Bible is understanding the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven and know which one you're in, where you're at in the Bible. I'm just going to tell you. Every goofy person who calls me on the phone, every ridiculous email I get, everybody who wants to argue about the Bible, fundamentally, they do not understand this issue. This issue is the fundamental issue of the Bible, if you're going to learn it. You have to understand what they are, where they are, when they're not here, when they are here, and who they apply to. And by the end of the day this morning, we hope we're going to try to accomplish that for you. So here in chapter 12, they make, they make, the, uh, uh, they make the tragic mistake of rejecting him. And so at this point in chapter 13, um, he says in verse 3, uh, and many, uh, and he spake thee many unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth a sower. At this point, the kingdom now has been rejected. So it goes into what the Bible calls parables. And this is a quotation, or this is a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9. Uh, and you'll find here uh, uh, in verse 13, Jesus says, I speak unto them in parables because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And he says, this fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, that's Isaiah 6, 9. By hearing you shall hear and not understand, and seeing you shall see and shall not perceive. They're seeing the Lord come. They're seeing him do the miracles that he's doing. And he's doing all the miracles that he's doing, not because he's the modern-day charismatic or the forerunner of it. He's doing all the miracles that he's doing because those were the signs that the nation of Israel was told to look for in the Messiah in Exodus chapter 4, so he's fulfilling them. But a charismatic could never get to that. But this is the difference between true Bible understanding your Bible and just playing at it. And it all fundamentally comes back to understanding the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. If you don't get those two laid out, you ain't going anywhere with the Bible. And you're going to be messed up in just about everything you try to do with the Word of God. So, verse 15, For these people's heart is waxed gross, their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes are they have closed, lest they at any time they should see with their ears, eyes and their ear and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. So now... Everything starts to go into a parable state. And I want you to look at the parables. Look at verse 24. Another parable put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven. See that thing? Look at verse 31. Another parable put he forth unto them, The kingdom of heaven. Look at verse 33. Another parable he put forth, The kingdom of heaven. 
every one of these parables, verse 44, verse 45, verse 47, every one of these parables is about the kingdom of heaven. And it's based on now taking the kingdom, the literal visible kingdom that went to, was given to the nation of Israel. And now it's in a mystery form called the parables because of their rejection of the king that has been so clearly laid out in the book of Matthew. This is the key to the Bible, understanding the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. I would say that if whatever you're doing, whatever you want to do with the Bible, whatever you hope to do with the Bible, put it on the back burner till you get this down because you're going nowhere until you understand this. Your goal in life is to be able to look and understand the Bible wherever you're at, by which kingdom you're in. And before we're done today, I'm going to lay it all out for you, and I'm going to show you and give you everything you need to know of, of, of where it's at, and you need to make your own chart today, and I would suggest that you put it somewhere in the back of your Bible so you have it. Um, or I don't care where, but you, you need to put it, you know, where you get your hands on it until you, you learn it. You need to get this into your head to the point where wherever you read your Bible, you know where you're at. It's not really hard. Once you can visualize what I'm going to write out on a board for you today and show you, once you can visualize that and see that, uh, it'll really help you. And it's really not that hard. What's hard is just getting the information to showing you that they're different. And so now we clearly know that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is a literal kingdom given to the first identity in the Bible, the nation of Israel. And it's a literal physical kingdom dealing with a literal physical nation with a literal physical king. And it deals with the aspect of, of uh, God giving everything to the nation of Israel based on his promises to them. So you're going to find that in Matthew, where the book of Matthew is dealing with the king of the Jews, that's why you find it 52 times. That's why you don't find it in the other three books. He's not dealing with them in that aspect. He's only dealing in one. And that's why God did it. God wanted to draw. God was hoping, <laughs> against all hope, God was hoping that we would ask the question why. He was counting on us, studying, ourselves, studying, us, studying to show ourselves approved unto him. He was hoping the fact that we would see the kingdom of heaven over and over again, and then when you read the rest of the gospel, didn't see it over and over again, and somebody would ask the question why, and then move into a concordance and see the difference that there's 52 in one place, zero in the other three. How somebody can say that they're alike because they're used like interchangeably in the New Testament. And that's always the thing that I hear. Well, they're used interchangeably in the New Testament, so they must be alike. They're not used interchangeably. It's found in one book that deals with the king of the Jews, and then you don't find it in the other three books. And I used interchangeably. That is, that is an absurd assumption based on the fact that you're not paying attention to what you're reading. So we now know by definition that the kingdom of heaven deals with the Number one identity in the Old Testament that God was going to use to get his self to people on planet Earth, the nation of Israel. He gave to them a literal, visible kingdom. That kingdom starts in Genesis, and uh, it was given to Adam. Adam is the first king in your Bible. Adam is the dominion over the earth and the heavens, atmosphere, kingdom of heaven. He has everything is his. He's the sole possessor of the earth. He's King Adam. 
And of course, he loses that kingdom by default in Genesis chapter 3. The kingdom then next goes to Noah. And of course, Noah loses the kingdom. And uh, it, through getting drunk there in Genesis 9, and then it goes to Shem. Shem has the kingdom, and he keeps it up to uh, Abraham's time. When Abraham is given the, given the uh, uh, great promise in Genesis 15 that his seed is going to be someday like the stars of heaven, literal, physical seed, in a literal, visible heaven, hence kingdom of heaven. That's what it's based on. It's not based on anything other than the promise that was given to Abraham. The kingdom of heaven is based on someday your literal seed will be like the stars of heaven, kingdom of heaven, literal, visible kingdom. And then, boy, they ever can't get to this. Someplace along the line, you find a mystery guy showing up. And that mystery guy is a guy by the name of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is one of the great so-called mysteries in the Bible, which is really not much of a mystery. I mean, if criminal minds, those three guys, four people can figure out all their problems. I can figure out mine with the Bible and the Holy Spirit of God. Melchizedek is not some mystical figure. Melchizedek is not Christ in some pre-incarnate form. Melchizedek is Shem. And when Melchizedek meets Abraham there, that is Shem showing up. And Shem represents the, uh, the eternal priesthood of God. And he gives to Abraham the kingdom of heaven. And with Abraham, something changes. The covenant changes. The kingdom changes as far as how you lose it. Now, up to this point, Adam had it, he lost it. Noah had it, he lost it. Everybody has lost it that had it because the devil found out their weakness and took the crown from them. So when it comes to Abraham, which is the beginning of the nation of Israel, God gives him that kingdom and he says, I'm not going to take it from you. It's going to be yours. I may whip you, beat you, I may beat you bloody, but I'm not going to take it from you like I did from the other guys. So he meets Melchizedek. Melchizedek gives him that. We'll get into all that later on down the line. Uh, and uh, he gives him that uh, kingdom, that crown. And, uh, and Abraham becomes the father of the nation of Israel. And then God begins the uh, nation of Israel with Abraham. And there's five, six stages to the nation of Israel that we'll get to when we get to that point. Uh, but right now we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven is a literal, visible kingdom given to the literal visible nation of Israel. All right, let's talk about the kingdom of God. Come over to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, look at verse uh, 17. Now, there's two definitive verses in your Bible. When it comes to the kingdom of God, a kingdom of heaven, you got a definitive book. That's Matthew. When it comes to the kingdom of God, you have two definitive verses. And the first one will be in Romans 14, verse 17. Here's what it says. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. All right? Those are literal things but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Clearly now we see that the kingdom of God is not a physical thing. It's now a spiritual thing. It's righteousness. It's 
peace, and joy, look where it's at, in the Holy Ghost. That's spiritual. Now, keep in mind, turn over to the second verse in Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, verse 21. It says, Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Then what he's saying here is that you can't point to any physical place and see it because it's not food or drink. It's peace, righteousness, joy in the Holy Ghost. Now we have a verse that says that it's inside you and me. It's within you. And where the kingdom of heaven is the literal visible kingdom to the literal visible nation of Israel who were given literal visible promises about a literal visible city, the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. And it only comes in uh, through a new birth. And it is the kingdom of the spiritual body of Christ, the church. <clears throat> and you get in this kingdom by getting born again. When the Holy Spirit of God comes inside you and seals you and takes up residency inside your body, now you uh, are part of that kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is spiritual. It is the operation in the kingdom for the true church in the New Testament. You have to see that. You don't have the ability to separate the two and understand it. You will get nothing out of the Bible but a mess. And you will never figure it out because all your Bible is built around those two identities. They're built around first Israel and then the church, but they're built around the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And getting into the Gospels and thinking they're the same, do a little test. I mean, I'm sure you all know people who claim to be Bible people, but not necessarily in our church but out there someplace, or you know pastors or somebody, ask them. Just go this week. Ask them. Ask them. Call that clown over there where you guys used to go and ask him. See what he says. Excuse me, Dr. Clown. Uh, Ask him. You know, you get some guys out there, ask them. Ask them. Just say, hey, you know, I was coming. Don't don't be argumentative about it. Just say, I was really, I was, uh, you know, I was really excited in my Bible, and I keep seeing the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And I was wondering, are they... What are they? Are they the same? Are they different? See what he says. See what he says. I mean, it'll be classic. It'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. Just try not to snicker and laugh as you walk away. And then don't try to correct him. No, don't try to correct him. You know, no, the Bible says you that are ignorant, be ignorant still. Let him go. But it's a thing where uh, it's for you. You want to be able to see what you're up against because it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And, uh, we have, a, we have people who everybody thinks that they're Bible scholars and they're really experts in the Bible, which we know there are none. And uh, they fundamentally wouldn't even get first, first base when it comes to the Bible. Because that is the key right there. You don't have that, I don't want nothing from you. You know what? You can buy me lunch, but that's where it ends. I don't want anything from the Bible from you. That Bible says that the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom that you're born into. And uh, they're two different things. And here's the confusion. When I talk about it, I talk about it like I've just said right now. And I usually don't go any farther because 
I don't have the time, and you know, uh, I'm not. That's not the question. But I I will talk about and how I lay it out like I just did. But here's where the problem comes in. Most people don't know how it works. There's times when both kingdoms are, see. This is why it gets confusing. Christ is king over both kingdoms. They're two different kingdoms, but he's he's king over both of them. See, he's the king over both. He's the king over the nation of Israel, and he's the king over the church. He he's the authority over both of these kingdoms, and that's where the confusion comes in. So there's times in the Bible that you'll find them both here, and then there's times in the Bible where one of them will be gone and one will be here. Then there's times when they'll both be here again, and then there's times where the other one will leave and the other one will stay, and then there's times where neither one of them are here, and then there's times when then neither one of them are here again, and then there's times when they're both back again. See, that's where it gets confusing, and that's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to lay it out for you and show you how, how it works um, and, and show you when, so you have an understanding of it. And like I said, uh, you'll, your chart will be a lot better than mine, I'm sure, but let me show you how it works here. I'll try to get this up high enough so everybody can see it. All right, let's put eternity over here. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm going to do it, do it up this way better. Eternity over here, and it's eternity over here. All right, first thing we're going to have here is Genesis 1-2. Put this on a piece of paper and just do it like I've done it here. John's got a good thing here he can give you too, but um, I just so uh, just, just want to get the basics down here. Now, in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, both kingdoms are here. You have the kingdom of God. You have the kingdom of heaven. When God puts Adam down on the earth, he said, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Adam is king over both kingdoms. He has the crown, both crowns. He has it. You know what happens in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, the devil shows up. And when he shows up in Genesis chapter 3, he gets Adam and Eve to sin, and uh, out it goes. Now, let me say this. The kingdom, of, the, kingdom of, the kingdom of God in the Bible will always be associated with the spiritual image of God that you have in Christ Jesus. Your flesh is not part of the kingdom of God. Your soul is. And when Adam was created, you know, I wouldn't say this in any other group because I wouldn't want it to be confusing, but truthfully, truth of the matter is, Adam is the only man in the history of the world, Adam and Eve, are the only people in the history of the world that were created born again. When God created them, he created them born again. They have his likeness and they have his image. Remember this. The likeness will always be the physical. The image will always be the spiritual. There's a lot of sub-important things in here you want to add to and remember that, and that is one of them. That is vital. 
You're going to get back in Genesis in the early chapters where God made man in his likeness after his image. And uh, you need to know the difference between those two. The likeness of man is that man in the likeness of God will be Jesus Christ in his body. Two arms, two legs, a head, and a torso. That's the likeness. The image will always be the spiritual uh, image of God that is within man. You want to remember that. So, Adam has God's image, and Adam has God's likeness. He's created with those two things, and he is, uh, he's king over both. When Genesis chapter 3 happens and they sin, he loses the image of God. And when he loses the image of God, the kingdom of God goes out. It's no longer here. Because he lost the spiritual image of God. All down through the rest of the Old Testament. All you have is the kingdom of heaven. What you have now is God through Abraham calling out a nation of people unto himself. And I've told you, we'll get to it a little bit later on. There's six stages of that that will help you divide up the Bible and the Old Testament for how it is. And that's very important. We don't need to worry about that today. I don't want to give you too much to think about. So for the next down through to 606 B.C., which will be Second Chronicles chapter 36, you have only the kingdom of heaven. That's all you got. Kingdom of God is out. During this time, nobody is born again. Nobody has the image of God. Now this will help you. This will help you in, in measurable ways. And I tell you, everything in the Bible comes back on these two things and you understanding it. You're going to find by the teachers of the Bible today that the, when you get into Genesis chapter 6, they're going to teach you that the sons of God, the sons of God were coming down and cohabiting with the daughters of men, which the Bible says, that's exactly the way the Bible says it. They're in their limited understanding of the Bible and their complete lunacy of their theology try to make that the sons of God as saved men marrying unsaved women because they don't know what to do with the Bible. So they look at the son, term son of God. They know how that's used in the New Testament. So they think, because they're so inept when it comes to the Bible, they think that that has to be saved people in the Old Testament. So therefore they, they make the Genesis chapter 6, sons of God marrying the daughters of men, saved people marrying unsaved women. And you know, that's the standard teaching in every Bible college in this country today. The heresy of that teaching falls back on the fact that they don't understand between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Because if you understood the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, you knew that the kingdom of God went out in Genesis chapter 3. Therefore, there could be no born-again people in Genesis chapter 6. The image is not there. See how it works for you? I'm telling you, kids. I'm telling you. Kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven fundamentally is everything, the backbone of your understanding, everything in that Bible, everything, everything, every heresy that comes up will fall back on those two things. You have to get them down, and you have to understand what I'm showing you right now. Okay, so 
kingdom of heaven is here up to 606 B.C. In 606 B.C., we find God is fed up with the nation of Israel, and we have now what is commonly called, I'm uh, going to enter into the times of the Gentiles. Daniel speaks of this. And uh, it's a time when God now takes the kingdom of heaven out. The crown leaves. Turn over to Psalm 78. I'll show you. Psalm 78 is the, is the psalm for this. I'll read it for you. Give ear, O my people, to my law, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. Now that's a prophecy of what's coming that I just showed you in Matthew, okay? Which ye have heard and known and our fathers have told us. And we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord to their strength and the wonders of the works to be done. For he established the testimony in Jacob, that's Israel, now, see there, there's the verse that tells you that God's testimony in the Old Testament was with Israel. The testimony in the New Testament is the church. That the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare unto their children, that he might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. It might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. Uh, they kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law um, and forgot his works with the wonders that he had showed them. Now see Ephraim there? Uh, that's a great lesson. Um, that's a lot of Christianity. See, there's a lot of little things in here. It says here, the children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. Ephraim had all the weapons and had all the training, but they could never get the job done. Like a lot of God's people. Some of you come to this church, you get the training and you get the Bible, but you're never going to get the job done. You know why? Let's find out why. Because they kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in His law. They forgot His works and wonders and He shut and showed them. See that thing? They had all the tools and they had all the weapons, they had all the training, but Ephraim never got the job done. Now, just as a side note, when God calls out the 144,000 over there in Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 14, Ephraim's not part of that. See? That's a great lesson for you and for me. I mean, you can have that book and you can have all the training and you can come here and get all the tools. The question is, what are you going to do with it? That's just one of those little sermonettes found in a great passage here. 
Marvelous things did he in their sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt and the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through, and he made the waters to stand as a heap. In the daytime also he led them with a the cloud, and the night with a light of fire. He's going back now and talking to how he brought them out of Egypt. That's how he led them back there. He brought streams in out of the rock and caused the waters to run like rivers. He, and yet they sinned more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat of lust. This will be where he brings down the manna. Uh, Exodus 16, I believe. Yea, they spake against God and said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock, and the waters gushed out, the streams overflowed, and he gave bread also, and provided flesh for the people. Therefore the Lord heard this, and was wroth, and it killed, uh, kindled against Jacob, the anger uh, came up against Israel. Uh, this will be Numbers chapter 16, verse 35. Uh, but they believed not in God, and trusted not in his salvation, for he had commanded the clouds from above, and opened the doors of heaven. And it rained down man upon them, that's Exodus 16, a man did eat angels' food. Uh, so the white fluffy cake that you get that looks like manna that's from heaven is called angel food cake. But the Bible's a contrast. So for most of us, we like devil's food better. That's just the way it goes. See? You'll take, most of us will take chocolate cake over white cake any time of the day. I will. You know why? Because I'm on my father the devil and the lust of my father as I will do long before I got saved. Some things change, some things don't. That chocolate cake looks awful good this morning. And he rained flesh also upon them as dust in the sand of the sea. And he, felt, and, and he let it fall in the midst of their camp, round about their habitation, so they did eat and were well filled. For he gave them their own desire. Uh, uh, and they were not estranged from their lust, but while their meat was yet in their mouths. You know, that is so true of God's people. God's people will turn against God while the blessings of God are still in their mouth. You know that? We're a wild bunch, aren't we? There's some great stuff in here. I need to get to read this more often. <laughs> the wrath of God came upon them and slew uh, the fattest of them and smote down the chosen men of Israel. Uh, for all this they sinned still and believed not for his wondrous works. And during the days did he consume in vanity and their years in trouble. When he saw them, then they sought him and they returned and inquired early after God. And he remembered that God was their rock and high and their redeemer. Nevertheless, that they flatter him with their mouth and lied unto him with their tongue. You know what? That's exactly what we do. For their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not, yea, many a time turned his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. Now, I won't tell you something. You better mark that verse in your Bible right there. Because there's times that God should kill us and there's times when we do everything that they did to him. There's times that we flatter him and tell him one thing, but our heart is as rotten as the black as the side of the bottomless pit. There's times that God comes down and does something for us over and over again, and we just give him that sharp stick in the eye. There's times that God comes down and takes care of us, and the blessings are still in our mouth when we start to go with our heart someplace else. Yet, he being full of compassion. We better mark that verse. For he remembered that they were all but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. Wow. How often did they provoke him in the wilderness, grieve him in the desert. Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. You see, there's another great verse. You know what we all do in our life? We limit God in our lives. We limit him. 
He wants unlimited access. You limit him. I limit him. They remember not his hand, nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy, how he wrought the signs in Egypt and wonders in the fields of Zoan, how he turned the rivers into blood and their floods that they could not drink. He sent divers sort of flies among them, which devoured them, and frogs which destroyed them. He destroyed the vines with hail and the sycamore trees with frost. He gave up the cattle under the hail and the flocks under the hot thunderbolts. He cast them upon the fierceness of his anger, wrath, and indignation and trouble by sending evil angels among them. He made a way to his anger and spared not the soul from death, but gave their life over to the pestilence. And he smote all the firstborn in Egypt, the chief of their strength, and the tabernacles of the Most High. Uh, and he led them unsafely that they feared not to see overwhelm their enemies. And he brought them to the border of the sanctuary into the mountain which his right hand had purchased. He cast out the heathen and poor him and divided them into inheritance. Now we're into Joshua. A land of made tribes of Israel to dwell in their tents. Yet they tempted and provoked the Most High. The more he does for them, they just keep turning their back on him. And I would say in your life and my life, the more he does for us, the more we just keep doing the same thing. You've got to work at it, kids. You've got to work at it. For they provoked him to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their graven images. And when God heard this, he was wroth and greatly abhorred Israel. So that he, now here it comes. Here it comes. Now let me give you the outline on this chapter. It's a very good outline. You need to have this. Here's, what he, here's how the chapter breaks down. And you want to mark this in here because this is the key chapter in your Bible on losing the kingdom of heaven. Verses 1 through 42, he's talking about the wilderness journey when they come out of Egypt. In 43 to 54, he's talking about when he delivered them from Egypt. In verses 60 to 64, now he's twitching and he's talking about the times of the Gentiles, which we're going to look at here when they lose the kingdom. And then 65 through 72, he's going to talk about the second coming of Christ and Israel being restored and the kingdom being restored, which is the theme of the Bible. Now let's pick it up in 60. <clears throat> now here's where they lose the kingdom of heaven. Time frame here is 606 B.C., right up on our chart here on the board. So that he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent which he placed among men, and he delivered his strength, that's Israel, into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hands. Now I want you to notice right there, verse 60 and 61 tells you that God is done with the tabernacle. It doesn't matter what that Jew does from this point on. God does not recognize anything done in that tabernacle. The priesthood is done. God is finished with it all. From this point on, it's playing games. It's playing games. God now looks at the individual Jew and his individual attitude of heart and know that Jew may keep the sacrifice personally, following the law. God will honor that and God will bless that. But on a national scale, God has finished with the nation of Israel. We have now have come to the end of the kingdom of heaven in the beginning of the times of the Gentiles. And he gave his people over to the sword of Nebuchadnezzar and Shennacherib and was wroth with his inheritance. The fire consumed their young men and the maidens were not were given to marriage. Their priests fell by the sword and their widows made no lamentations. Um, 
And the Lord awaked and went out of the deep like a mighty man that shouteth by reason of wine. And he shouteth his enemies in his hinder parts, and he put the perpetual reproach. Moreover, he refused the tabernacle of Joseph and showed not the tribe of Ephraim, but showed the tribe of, uh, of Zion, which he loved. Now, if you don't have this note in here, you want to put this in here. First time the word love shows up in your Bibles in Genesis chapter 22, verse 2. And that's where Isaac gets offered on the sacrifice, and he's on the same mount, Mount Moriah, which is right there on Mount Zion. And he built the sanctuary like in high places, like the earth established forever. He chose David also his servant, and smote him from the sheepfolds. From following the ewes, great with the young, he brought him to feed Jacob his people, and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them with the skillfulness of his hands. So that's a great chapter. And that great chapter shows you in verse 60 that in 606 B.C. it's finished. The tabernacle and the temple is now worthless. The times of the Gentiles have come in. And uh, along with that, turn over to Lamentations chapter 5. You want to put this in here too, same time period. Lamentations chapter 5, right after Jeremiah. Verse 9, <clears throat> Lamentations 5, 9. Lamentations is the time 606 B.C., right where Psalm 78 is talking about. We got our bread with the peril of our lives because of the sword of the wilderness. Our skin is blocked like an oven because of the terrible famine. They ravished the women in Zion and the maids in the cities of Judah. Princes are hanged by their hands, and the faces of the elders were not honored. They took the young men to grind, and the children fell under the wood. The elders have ceased from the gate, the young men from their music. The joy of our heart is ceased. Here it comes. Our dance is turned into mourning. Here it comes. The crown is fallen from our head. Woe unto us that we have sinned. Crown, 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 kingdom of heaven. Gone. Gone. So, from 606 B.C., No kingdom. Times of the Gentiles. Now, that'll run about 400 and some odd years, and then we come to the first coming of Christ. When the first coming of Christ shows up, both kingdoms come back. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Why? Because Christ is here and Christ king over both. He comes to establish both kingdoms. Now we know that I showed you earlier in Matthew when we started. I walked you through Matthew, kind of. We now know that by Matthew chapter 12, he comes as the king, the kingly genealogy, the kingly line, the kingly signs and wonders. We get to Matthew chapter 12, they reject the king. And then, of course, they crucify the king. And so now, at the crucifixion, Kingdom of heaven goes out. 
now we have the church age. And all we got now is the kingdom of God. See how that works? There's times that they're both here. There's times that one is here. Then there's times that none of them are here. And there's times that they're both here again. Then there's times that the other one's here. See how it works? You've got to get this down. Now I'm going to put another line down here because I'm going to run out of space here. Pick up going on from here. All right. <clears throat> right now we're in the kingdom of God. No kingdom of heaven. We're in a spiritual kingdom, and when you get saved, you get born into that kingdom of God. You're never born into the kingdom of heaven. That's Israel. You're born by a spiritual birth to put you into a kingdom of God, which is within inside you, which is righteousness, peace, in the Holy Ghost. All right, any minute, rapture's going to take place. When a rapture takes place, You know how many churches and pastors don't believe the rapture anymore? You know why they don't? They don't understand the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Because when a rapture takes place, the kingdom of God goes out. Now we enter into seven years called the tribulation period. No kingdoms. All belong to the devil. It's his kingdom. Then we have, at the end of the seven years, second coming. When the Lord comes back in the second coming, he brings both kingdoms with him. He's king over both. And from that point on, we move into the millennium and on into eternity. Both kingdoms firmly established. Now that's how it works. You have to get it down. You have to get it down just like that. You have to know when they're both here. Then you have to know when they're not here. You have to know when one is, when the other one isn't, and why. And you have to put it all together. You will never figure out your Bible. You will never get one thing of any meaning out of that Bible till you understand that concept. That concept is the theme of the Bible. The theme of the Bible is a kingdom. It's not salvation. It's not, it's not the church. It's not Israel. It's Christ coming back and being crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. And the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is the process for that to transpire and happen. Now, I'm not going to get into the, all of the other stuff here that there's times that through here where uh, God could have could have come in at any time. There's at least two or three places where God could have come back and established the kingdom without there ever being a church age. We ain't gonna get into all that. I don't want. I, this is all I want you to get today. This is enough right here. You have got to get this down. You have got to get this down. Any questions? Yes. They had to follow. They had to follow their conscience before the law, and God would get them what they needed and give them what they were supposed to do, and uh, he would accept them on that basis. Just like he did, the models of that would be Enoch, the models of that would be Noah, uh, the models of that would be Lamech, Methuselah, uh, 
God always give, will give a man the light to follow, and then that man has to follow that light. In the Old Testament, before the law, God dealt with man on his conscience. After the law, he deals with him, obviously, on the law. Abraham is before the law. He's, the law doesn't come into Moses. So Abraham is operating by his conscience, too. But God is giving him the beginning of everything and, uh, and, uh, and establishing that kingdom on the basis of the relationship he has with them. Yes? No, it's just gone. It's not here. So Luke um, 4, when Jesus is being tempted, the devil says he has the kingdoms of this world. What are those? Those are the literal nations. It's their kingdom. That would be Iraq, Iran, America, Britain, Africa, the literal nations that are here on this earth. That They're not the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And did he always have those? Who? The devil ever yes. Been? The devil has always had the nations of this earth they will not be the Lord till the millennium. The only time that he may have had them in a, in a lucrative sense would have been under Solomon because Solomon uh, is a type of the millennium and it looks like all the nations are coming in to see him. But that would have been the only time that would have ever gotten close to that. But everything else in the Bible, those nations are used of the devil. In the Old Testament before, uh, they're used in the nations to keep Israel from doing whatever they need to do. We see him in Joshua. Uh, he aligns those nations after they get into the land. David wipes them out. And then uh, in Daniel, they all, it's very clearly, it starts with Babylon and runs right up to Rome. And they're all the nations that the devil uses, and the devil's using them today. Yeah. Uh, can we go back to Psalm 78? Uh-huh. So it says, Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. Because when I, I don't know, just when I originally kind of got through this, I always thought it was talking about the past, but it's, it's really. A well, uh, some of it is the past because obviously when David is, he's on the throne in 1000, so much of it was already history. Okay. Yeah. But some of it is prophetic, yes, because some of it is dealing with the second coming. Yeah. When you did your, uh, when you went through the outline real quickly, I think you, either I just missed it, and if I did, I want to make sure I had it right, or you skipped over. Um, you had verses 59, or 55 through 59, or I'm sorry, 43 through 54, being where, how he talked about how he delivered him from Egypt, and then you went to 60 through 64 being the times of the Gentiles. So 55 to 59, is that, that's basically from uh, Joshua through the king, right? Let me see here. Yeah, would be Joshua. Uh -huh. You're right. Yeah, you're right. I didn't have that up there. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Yeah. Six of six after they lost the kingdom of heaven, did people just follow the law to to get salvation, or how? His question is: In six oh six, what did the people do? This is. This is a good question because it's relevant to where we're at today. Christianity has lost the Bible. What do you do? 
you stay with the book. Okay. Now, they stayed uh, back in 606 B.C. You found the majority of, and the devil's plan was clear. He takes the nation of Israel, who, if you look down through here in Psalm 78, God talked about how much they were. They were his strength. They were his glory because they were the identity that he worked through. So what happens is when they go into the captivity, the devil's plan is to completely destroy them. This is where uh, Shennacherib takes some of them, puts them down in Samaria, and this is where the Sumerians come from, half Jew and half Gentiles. By the time Christ shows up, which has now been 400 years, they have been dispersed through all those nations that they don't even know their own language anymore, hence he's got to speak to them in tongues. So the devil's plan was to completely dismantle the nation of Israel, bring it to a point of complete disintegration where they lost every aspect and element of God. And that happened with the majority of them. But what God did do is 70 years after that captivity brought a remnant back, something like 31,000 people or something like that. They did the best they could with what they had followed what they, the instructions that they did have in the Old Testament. And even though God wasn't establishing the kingdom of heaven as he once did, he honored what they were doing because that's all they had to do. And I'm going to tell you right now, in your life, in my life, in this church, Christianity, I'm going to tell you something right now in God's mind. The times of the Gentiles are over. It's over. This is why there's no great revivals. This is why there's not no great evangelists. This is why nobody's getting saved like they did with Billy Sunday and all those places and even Billy Graham in the early part of his ministry. The times of the Gentiles are over. God's full attention now is on the restoration of the nation of Israel because we are so close to putting that final phase into being which happened in 1948, and you told that not a generation, that generation won't end before all those things happen, and those things are the second coming of Christ and the tribulation period. So we're done. We're done. We're done. So what do we do? The Bible says in the book of Luke that we occupy till he comes. We know what got people through in the Philadelphian church age when the power of God was on this country and on England. We know the book that he did it with. So even though we are at the end and the times of the Gentiles, and we're past that point now where God is not interested in Gentiles in the sense that he was down through the great Philadelphian church age, we do what Israel did and we stay with what worked. And God will bless us just like he blessed them. We'll get people saved. Well, God will use us in spite of where he's going and where he's at, because God always blesses what you do with what he told you to do. We're just following the same light that the guys in the Philadelphian church age followed, except we're living in a time when the lights are out. So it's a great question because the parallel is vitally important. In 606 B.C., a remnant went back, or 70 years after. They did exactly what they knew to do based on what God had told them before. And God blessed them for it, and God used them as the freeway, so to speak, to the first coming of Christ. We, on the other hand, God done with the church, finished. There isn't, 
I know this is hard for some of God's people to believe. There isn't one thing within the church body of Christ today that is worth God messing with. I know that's hard for some of you to get. And probably some of you listen to this and say, well, there he goes again. No, here I keep on going. <laughs> I'm not going again. I never stop to start again. God is finished with this putrefied body of Christ church that is, turns God's stomach. He's done with it. And that's why you've got to have all the big things you've got to have to pull it off as the real deal because God isn't there anymore. You got to be the show now because the show is gone. Just like it was with the nation of Israel. They got kept the thing gone. They added the, the Sadducees and the, and, the, and the Pharisees and they owed all those things and they gave the illusion that we're still the great. Oh, we still love God. God wasn't 100 million miles around it. Christianity's done the same thing. And God's people are too stupid to see it because they're part of it. And this thing is an absolute called Christianity. God is finished with it. He's done with it. He's not interested in it anymore. He could care less what they do. He now has turned his attention to the end times, to bringing that nation back. But just like 70 years after, a remnant went back under Zerubbabel and Ezra, and they said, we're going to stay with the stuff because even though we lost it all, we still want to have a relationship with God. There are churches out there that will keep the book, preach the book, and God will use them. He'll still glean some grapes off of a disease-ridden vineyard. And that's all he's doing. And that's our job. Our job is to be faithful, just like they were in 70 AD. Our job is to be faithful in doing what we do and doing what we do the way God, we know that God wants it done, fully understanding that there'll never be any great revivals, fully understanding that there'll never be any big churches for God, fully understanding that there'll never be anything on the magnitude as it was in the Philadelphian church ages, because it's gone. God is gone. He has left, and He cares nothing for the church at this point who has stepped out on Him, and just like Israel did, He's now turning his attention to the nation of Israel, and he'll be back in just a little while to deal with us at the judgment seat of Christ. But we stay faithful. In the spite of the churches out there that laugh at us, Christians that laugh at us, Christians that don't like the way we preach, the way we teach, what we believe, almost said it. Thank God caught my tongue. We don't care. We'll stick with the book. This is why Ezra and Nehemiah are so important because when that 70 years went back, seventy after they went back after the 70 years, you had to read sometime when the adversaries showed up. The adversaries were the people of God that did not want them to believe what God told them to believe. And they didn't die out back in 630 B.C., 530 B.C., they're still around today. Doesn't matter. We know what to do. We know what our job is. We stay faithful with the book. And we understand that we're at the end. It's done. It's complete. And uh, this is why God's people are so wishy-washy today. It's why God's people got one foot in the world, one foot, that's got Bible in one hand, a beer in the other. That's why they, they have no concept of a holy God and a concept of what God wants them to do. You know why? 
He's done with the church. I say that, and in the same breath, I'll say that if you want to do something for God, now's the best time to do it because God will still honor those who do what the book says. Because just as the 70, 70, uh, 70 years after went back to paved the way for the first coming of Christ, churches like this are paving the way for the second coming of Christ. And it's an honor to be in that spot. So. Well, we'll hold up there. Hope you get that down. If you don't, give it up. <laughs>